This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you tuning in as we continue to explore the most important trends, technologies, and industry-shaking events that are shaping the larger oil and gas industries, as well as the broader energy industry. As we continue to explore today's talking points, I want to make sure that you have uh, all of the opportune content that you need to feel fully caught up on what we're breaking down today, uh, but also want to make sure that you explore some of our other conversations. We've had plenty of great thought leaders on the show to help uh, capture and plant their flag of analysis and thought leadership in their slice of the industry. So make sure you're heading to our website, Opportune. Dot com. Again, that's opportune.com for more important um, podcasts, videos, articles, blogs, you name it. Uh, you'll find all of that and more on our website. You can also subscribe to Energy to Business on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new episodes of the show. So for today's conversation, I want to stretch our legs a bit and broaden the scope of insights that are typical on an E2B podcast. Uh, we're going to be chatting not just the energy and uh, you know larger oil and gas industries today, but we're going to be just chatting business structure and strategies. So everyone who's listening to this podcast is going to be familiar with this, right? It's a bit of an understatement to put it so simply, but every business goes through change, right? That much is certain. Whether you're a small firm implementing a new payment solutions platform or whether you're an enterprise level company that's merging with a unicorn startup that expands the scope of your business model. I mean, that's even just those two examples are tiny slices on the spectrum of possible organization level change, right? Operational and technological change is just an inevitable part of running a business. Now, this change doesn't automatically get executed with intention and vision, though, right? It takes a focused change strategy toward choosing the right vendor, training employees, aligning compliance and audit needs, communicating with investors and analysts, et cetera, et cetera, to make organization-wide evolutions actually successful and not mired in their own challenges and potential roadblocks or speed bumps. And that's the focus of today's conversation. With our chat today, with our expert, we're going to be breaking down why developing and implementing a sound organizational change management strategy is more important than ever in the age of disruption. Obviously, everything we're going to break down today is actionable for the larger energy industry. We'll even have a few energy-specific examples, but the strategies that we're covering today are applicable for really any business. So regardless of your background, you're going to want to tap into our guests' thoughts today to better understand how organizational change management strategies are changing and how to make the most of said change in this highly disruptive era. So I'd like to go ahead and introduce our guest. I'm pleased to welcome Don Barnhart. Again, Don Barnhart. He's a director at Opportune. Don, great to have you on. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to talk about the new face of change management in today's business climate. It's good to be here, Daniel. Yeah, it's a real pleasure getting to pull from your background today. Uh, I want to point everyone in the right direction here. You just recently published an article on Opportune's website called Organizational Change Management in the Age of Disruption. That is going to be a great partner piece for this podcast. So folks listening, make sure that you tap into said article. It'll be in the description of the podcast as well as any corresponding blog posts or articles. Uh, but Don, I want to open it up to you here first. Can you uh, give a little bit more context on your background uh, you know, through the energy industry, but even more broadly? And uh, you know, what touch points you've had in the mm, scope of organizational change management. Give us that elevator pitch. I'm the director of change management for Opportune, an energy-focused consulting firm where we help organizations thrive in the fast-paced and complex energy industry. And I've been practicing for change management over 25 years. Fantastic, Don. Thank you for that context. And um, let's get right to brass tacks, right? And start chatting OCM. So again, organizational change management, uh, if we want to give the you know dictionary definition here, this is actually the Harvard Business School definition. So uh, you know it's been uh, you know fully vetted and it's tried and true. But OCM refers to the actions in which a company or business alters a major component of its organization. And uh, you know it's important to understand that this is a wide scope. So this includes things like culture the underlying technologies or infrastructure it uses to operate, uh, its internal processes, etc. cetera. Uh, so I want to start then, Don, by picking your brain on how this world of um, you know, business strategy has evolved. So how has the business environment changed in your perspective over the last decade or so to warrant organizations looking inward uh, and, you know, critically thinking about and producing more strategic OCM plans that might be, um, you know, more forward looking, more resilient, uh, and, you know, aim to be more efficient amid some of these disruptions, right? So again, break down for us how you've seen the business environment change in the last 10 years or so, and how are they warranting a more focused look at OCM? Boy, the business environment has changed a lot. I think it's really changed in three ways. First, there's been severe disruption to many businesses and markets in the past 20 years. I mean, think about the iPhone and Netflix and Uber and Amazon and Tesla, just to name a few. You know, the second way it has changed is that it's speeded up. The digitalization of business, right, has changed the way we work and the tools we use. I mean, the influence of technology has been disruptive as well as being transformational for us all. And third, the pandemic has transformed the way we work with more remote work and a change of schedules, but it's also surfaced frightening levels of anxiety in our workers. I mean, the APA released a study in March where 36% of the people said they had more anxiety than last year and 46% said they had the same amount. And we know that 2020 was a record for anxiety levels. So the evidence of that is everywhere and we can see it in many of our workers' faces as well as we saw it with the great resignation where millions of people left their jobs last year. All of these things combined together to put a lot of stress on the organization and a lot of stress on the individuals in an organization. You know, as workers leave, they have to pick up work of their colleagues, roles change. There's a lot happening. And so as change management professionals, 
And as we wade into new strategic initiatives in our organizations, we have to practice it differently. We have to understand and address our organization and our employees directly in addition to the strategic change and whatever we're working on. And as you laid out in your uh, latest article, which again is called Organizational Change Management in the Age of Disruption, folks, I encourage you to give that a full read. Um, but again, as you laid out in that article, you highlighted how businesses have to consider strategically how to transform to compete and to win in today's economy, right? Uh, often having the right OCM strategy uh, or effectively bringing on a new digital solution, uh, bringing on uh, a new leader to help transition the company for a new era. Uh, these things are what are giving companies their competitive edge. It's not just producing a quality product or, um, you know, turning a profit during Q2, right? So OCM practitioners must then change their practices to keep in step with the times. The strategy that worked five years ago um, doesn't work today. And even the one that worked two years ago at the start of the pandemic likely doesn't work for today, at least completely, right? There have to be some tweaks. So let's break some of those down, right? How can companies implement effective organizational change management strategies today that reflect today's needs? And what are some of today's needs? Well, you know, Daniel, change management tools and practices have in many cases been validated over the last 30 years, but yet we still see alarming statistics about how many projects do not achieve their expected results. So we've all seen change programs that didn't work or initiatives that have failed, right? And so to be successful, we need to implement our change programs in three different ways. First, we have to address change holistically. And that has two components. You know, we have to address the organization as a whole and understand the strain and stresses on the organization and the myriad of myriad of initiatives going on. Right. And uh, we have to also understand the current employment climate and and the expected disruptions. Right. So the first thing is to to see the organization as a whole and address its needs in addition to the strategic needs of the change we are implementing. And second, we have to address the individuals holistically and understand the stresses in their teams and the stresses in their lives so that we can divide change, devise change plans that include the strategic initiative and the individual needs in each group. The second thing we need to do after driving and understanding change holistically is to drive change at the center. You know, because change starts at the top and it happens at the bottom. And the middle of the organization is the place where the power lies to translate strategy into action. And they're the ones who need to drive change. And third, we need to enable change emergently. You know, we need to help people change when they have the time, the energy, and the attention to change. And that's typically not two weeks before the change occurs. We have to do two things. First, we have to enable change over time where we have to take a long stretch to allow the concepts and ideas and change impacts to be understood. And then second, we need to rapidly implement that change when it is the right time, which is not two weeks before the launch date. Regardless of what is being changed as well, um, you know, I think it's important to address the level of investment and understanding that goes into executing on a successful OCM strategy, um, you know, naturally executing on anything of this size is going to come from business leadership, from decision makers. 
Uh, and while it can often seem, um, you know, like really the people making the decision need to be the ones at the table, often it, you know, can prove to be ineffective to not also, um, you know, well, of course, fully understand the impact across the organization. That much is, um, you know, uh, warranted and, and, and given already. But, um, you know, also communicating the scope of these changes across the organization down to, uh, you know, the employees who might feel it most acutely and even getting their feedback as well on possible hiccups that could arise in the, uh, you know, transition period. Uh, that is essential for executing on a positive and successful OCM strategy. And so again, addressing change holistically, uh, it enables leaders to understand change across the organization. And it also uh, helps individuals maximize the results of the company's most important initiatives. Therefore, it's essential to create unity across all parties. So can you outline some of the steps that are involved in executing that kind of communication unity, strategy unity, to where leadership communicates down to uh, employees, uh, employees offer feedback up to leadership, and it creates a um, you know, holistic change process. A holistic change process recognizes what is happening in the organization and the individuals, in addition to understanding the strategic change you're trying to implement. And so that requires a lot of communication, as you referenced, Daniel. You know, often leaders underestimate the time required for good communication. And that is where driving change at the center comes in. It's the middle of the organization that needs to understand what is going on in the organization, what is going on in their team, and what their strategic change is. And then they'll be the best ones to translate, communicate, gather feedback, and drive that change right from the middle of their teams. Do you find that driving change at the middle can be a difficult concept to grasp? Um, or maybe a better way to frame that is, what are some of the you know most difficult areas to um, you know to to fully grasp and understand as a strategic action plan when trying to scope out change at the center? Because I imagine it can almost be easier to imagine what has to change for leaders, what has to change for the frontline workers, but that concept of synergy between the two parties, I imagine, takes a little more nuance. So, what are some of those hiccups you often see as folks try to implement change at the center? As I said, the middle is the best place of the organization to translate strategy, given the organization climate and the team climate. And the four hiccups I see most when driving change at the center of this. First, the roles and responsibilities of the middle of the organization are often not clearly defined in relation to how they're supposed to drive the change. And executive leaders need to be explicit and purposeful when they define those roles. Second, those leaders then have to hold the middle of the organization accountable for the results of that change and, and the specific results of that change in their own teams and with their own people. Third, the third hiccup is that many times these leaders will need to be reminded or trained on how change affects people and how to communicate and lead people through change because many don't have the skills. And fourth, I've yet to see an organization that overestimates the time required for this. This takes a significant amount of leadership time and middle management needs to be heavily involved. Let's then address some specific examples, right? And offer some anecdotes for our audience so they can 
better grasp what this actually looks like in practice. So let's start more generally. Uh, maybe you can draw from some examples that you've seen that are rather high profile or from, um, you know, uh, work that you've um, taken on over the course of your career. Uh, I'll get to more specific oil and gas examples here in a little bit, but let's start more generally outside of the industry. You know, something that we can learn from um, in another context, but what would be an example of a company driving change at the center with a massive organizational change um, that we can draw some lessons from, right? Either something went very well, something didn't go so well, and they therefore learned from it and adjusted, right? But give us a, a good anecdote here and what you'd say the, um, you know, the most actionable learning lesson is for OCM strategists. Great question, Daniel. And as we look at uh, organizations going through major change, if you think about, uh, for instance, a, uh, a company putting in um, a brand new, uh, let's say, an ERP system with uh, changing of roles and responsibilities within that organization so that we are developing a shared service center for different corporate functions, perhaps after a merger or an acquisition. And so as you look at this kind of change, there's a lot going to be going on. And so if we address the change holistically, we're going to understand that that there are new leaders within different parts of the organization that are going to be um, translating and setting up new processes and new best practices within their groups. Then there's going to be the system change with the new ERP system, followed by uh, role changes as they build a shared service center and help uh, consolidate practices within the organization. And this would often then lead to, right, a, a you could call it a right sizing where they're going to take a look at staffing and, and have reductions in force where they are not needed because of the uh, shared service center. So with all of that going on holistically, you can see that this is going to be an emotional time for these people who are going through this change in this organization, not only for the leadership, but certainly for the center of the organization, as well as the frontline employees. And so with all of that going on, you can imagine that it's very easy for an organization to get focus on tasks and responsibilities to get the work done, right? And so what I've seen is that uh, this particular organization had a fantastic uh, management group and had people that knew their jobs and knew exactly what to do, but they didn't spend the time required to lead the organization through it to allow for the emotional change that is required. You know, uh, Chip and Dan Heath in their book, um, Switch, talks about, uh, they, they call the emotional side of change the elephant, and that if you don't deal with the elephant, it's going to wreak havoc uh, in whatever business building you put it in. And so as, we, as this organization went through this change, since they didn't allow time for for folks to emotionally process, deal with, and react to all that was occurring. They were in a position where morale tanked, where people left the organization dissatisfied with the way the change was being led, and 
the new organization and the new structures had a hard time getting off the ground and performing well because of that morale issue. And so when you look at driving change from the center, that's a clear place where they had the accountability for the tasks to be done, but they didn't have the understanding and the expectation of the time required and the leadership required to allow their people to do that and uh, to allow them to then help everybody through this change. So that's one example, Daniel. Yeah. And that emotional aspect I imagine is often overlooked um, or treated as sort of a, Mm, as an aspect that maybe it's taken for granted during major organizational change, right? Yeah, people will just adjust to the change. It's fine that they have to relearn whatever, X payment platform, X learning management system, X, um, you know, um, uh, customer um, management system, right? I mean, there's just so many changes that come with a transition of a uh, critical day-to-day operational tool or that comes with bringing on a new leader who might have a new style of leadership, a new communication style, um, you know, a new policy on one-on-one meetings. I mean, all of these things come with an emotional layer uh, and the employees that have to now take on this change and implement it into their uh, day-to-day, um, you know, workflow, really. Um, are going to face challenges and adjustment. And if those aren't addressed or aren't treated as an important part of said strategy, I can imagine that even just missing that layer can create a lot of um, unintended consequences and can sabotage a otherwise successful OCM strategy. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I find that it's probably more important than, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, treated often. Yeah. And Daniel, you know, you, you absolutely right. And if you think about it from an individual angle, it's not that the organization didn't know that this would be emotional. What they didn't do was give enough time for the change to occur. So I've got a new boss. And like you talked about those personal interactions and the leadership style and what this boss expects of me and and how conversations and meetings go, right? All that's changing and that's stressful. And then you add on top of that, the new system that you've got to learn, right? And then you add on top of that, that you know what? Two of my friends got laid off because of this change. And, and all of that happening within a compressed time frame is, is, is frankly overwhelming sometimes to the individuals involved, particularly if they've got someone dying of COVID in their family or some other family crisis going on, right? So if they have things outside of work that are also impacting them, then the speed at which businesses want to change and to operate can really put the employees in a bind and that can make your change efforts fail. And it's a very difficult problem. And that's why we need to really understand when we look at change holistically, looking at the whole individual as well as the whole organization. And that needs to be considered. Now let's give an example on the oil and gas side, right? Got to play to our audience here. Um, Could you give us an anecdote uh, from 
the oil and gas industry. You know, this could be a recent major merger, some leadership transitions, adoption of a new tool, digital transformations, anything um, that highlight some of the nuances that have to come with implementing an OCM strategy, but in the context of the energy industry. And, you know, some tips and advice that you would give for maneuvering uh, those strategies. You know, in implementing three best-of-breed software systems for a large energy company, several things were done well and several issues arose in a, in a recent program. First, given the significance of this change, the project team was made up of internal personnel and consultants, and they quickly got to the task of defining the change and all the work needed to be done. The project was well-organized and executed well. And it was a project that spanned more than a year. It was a long project. And during that time, the business environment changed for the worse. And as the project team was getting ready to implement part of the change, the company had a layoff. Now, since business leadership felt they needed to keep that confidential, and of course, you can understand why, the project team then had to quickly address that change within the organization and move forward. It couldn't just address the strategic change that was going on with the three new best of breed systems. It had to take time to address what was going on in the organization. And although difficult, if the team had understood the risk of that occurring, then the planning of mitigation strategies for that risk would have greatly helped the team when you think about it from a change angle. Also on this project from a, an enablement perspective, the project team had to take a budget-constrained live training approach. You know, and that led to long training sessions delivered before go live. The business groups then required what? Significant support after go live. You see, if the team had been able to develop support at the point of need through a digital adoption platform, or if they had delivered training once the system was already live, retention would have been improved. You know, people have the energy and time and, and appreciation for the changes and what needs to occur when they have to make it. Uh, but it's harder to get people excited a month ahead of an upcoming change and to get them to think and invest in a way that would really support them in a targeted way, as well as uh, make it relevant um, and help it stick or for them to retain what, uh, what training and information they receive. I appreciate that example. I think our audience will find a lot of use out of, um, you know, some anecdotes that line up with situations they might be more familiar with. Uh, and, you know, something that stood out to me in all of your answers uh, is you've been highlighting this key factor in successful OCM strategies today, right? And that would be enabling change when the need emerges, uh, now, I think what that really signals to me is not waiting for the need to fully materialize to the point where it is uh, inhibiting the company um, you know, to make these kinds of changes. So I've gotten a sense of proactivity uh, in your advice and in your uh, tips for implementing successful OCM strategies. But can you briefly explain to our listeners and expand uh, you know, with more clarity what this means, right? Enabling change when the need emerges uh, and how can it be successfully executed to maximize OCM results? Change management activities are front-loaded usually just before the launch of the change for most organizations. Uh, 
And most of the time, the volume of change activities shrinks to negligible levels after the launch of the change. But we need to plan the majority of change activities after the launch, when most employees will have the time, attention, and energy to change, because they have to do it. They have to implement those changes then. You know, their questions and their attention, their desire to learn, their energy will all be peaked and ready once that change occurs, once the launch has occurred. It won't be too much before. So enabling change emergently is really enabling people to change over time when they need to and not before. And there are tools and techniques to do this so that you address it all along before the launch occurs, before the actual change date occurs. But also, once it occurs, there are tools and techniques to use, including digital adoption platforms and, and ways that the middle management can support the change differently as they go forward. All right, Don, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. Uh, it's really been such a pleasure getting to pick your brain on um, maneuvering OCM strategies for today's business needs. Like we mentioned, there's so much that could bring on the need for an OCM strategy. Could be a new tool, could be a new leader, could be a merger, uh, could be a selling off of a part of your business that radically shifts your business model. Regardless, change happens with businesses and the scope of said changes, uh, you know, the, the deep organizational ones and operational ones uh, continues to change. Uh, even in the last two years, it has evolved so much with the onset of the pandemic. And so with today's insights, hopefully our audience better understands how to maneuver and think about organizational change management in today's business context. So again, Don, thank you so much for your time. Folks, we've been chatting with Don Barnhart. He is director at Opportune and recently released an article titled Organizational Change Management in the Age of Disruption. I recommend you give that a read for more context on today's conversation. And Don, uh, if folks want to get in touch with you or they want to learn a little bit more about you, how can they do so? Well, Daniel, folks can get in touch with me through email at dbarnhart at opportune.com. That's D-B-A-R-N-H-A-R-T at opportune.com. Fantastic. Don, thank you again for your time. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an Opportune podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want some previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future updates to the most timely and topical topics that affect the larger energy industry. Make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and head to our website, opportune.com, for more content, information, and more touch points on our solutions and services. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of E2B. E2B.